them. We're doing, going to continue to do what we did last week uh, until I get enough complaints to stop. Uh, we're going to continue to to use the Bible. Okay, we're good. Okay, and there's somebody in the nursery. Uh, we're going to continue to use the Bibles in front of us in the pews for uh, for our uh, scripture instead of putting it on the screen. We're going to do a little different this week again. Um, if you like this, let me know. Uh, last thing, if you want something to take notes or if you uh, are in that crowd of people who are like, oh, well, I didn't get everything that he said last time, uh, there are paper copies of the slides you can grab and take notes on. Uh, it's a little easier than the outlines I did. So if you would like a copy, raise your hand. If you need a pencil, let Abby know and she will find you one. Uh, all right. And I am going to uh, wait a second for Jess to be ready. Are you ready? Okay. Um, and we'll see if those decide to work. Let's pray in preparation for the message. Um, nope. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll watch them from here, and I'll tell you when to move the slides. Okay, dearest? Uh, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I uh, pray that you be with us today. I pray that you would um, be with me and help me to... Uh, preach the gospel faithfully. Help me to come back over and over again to the to the the scriptures, to the text, and most of all to the gospel, um, to the the glorious good news that that you sent your Son to to carry the weight of our sins uh, when we couldn't help ourselves. Um, you saved us from from our own brokenness, from the the death that we suffer uh, in our in our uh, in our sin, in our rebellion. I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that your spirit would uh, cut through all of the hard hearts, hard heartedness that we all experience through the, the, the places where the rocks are, the weeds are, whatever, Lord. And I pray that you would just find good soil in us um, and bring us to, to more intimate, closer knowledge of you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, sure. Um. Nope. Yeah, I know I got them up. They're blank. I, it's not giving me any text, so I'll just tell you when to when to move the slides, dearest. I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, years ago, my wife and I, uh, when we first got married, we uh, did not have kids, and actually, we didn't have kids until we'd been married for about 13 years. Uh, every time uh, my wife would mention uh, having children or talk about the idea, I would go out and buy a dog. Uh, and it was just enough to keep her content that we didn't have children until we'd been married a long time. And eventually, actually, I think my mom yelled at me once. She said, you know, no more dogs. Stop buying dogs. Grandkids. Um, one of those dogs was a, uh, was a little uh, Basinji. Uh, they're like African hunting dogs. And they weigh about 25 pounds. They can't bark which is interesting, they yodel or they howl. Uh, and if they get hurt, they scream and they sound like a baby, like freaking out. And um, this dog, he was, uh, we, we named him Lincoln. Actually, his AKC name was Hot Rod Lincoln um, because he kind of drove us nuts. Uh, but he was, uh, he was a lot of fun. Um, Basinjis are like a, like a subtle cross between a dog and a cat where, like, you take away all the awful stuff that comes with owning a cat and, like, replace it with the good stuff associated with a dog, 
and take away all the dog stuff that's bad and replace it with the good stuff of cats, like both of them. Uh, and it was, you know, a good mix right in the middle. And he was a great dog. Um, one day I was sitting in my living room watching TV, and I heard Lincoln start screaming just all out. And I'd never heard him do it before. Uh, and it, it's blood-curdling. Like, it sounds like a, like a small child just full-on wailing. And I hopped up, and I ran into the bedroom where he was, and we had this big four-post bed, and he had fallen off the edge, this tiny little dog, and his back leg had gotten caught between the mattress and the footboard, and it had broken his leg straight away. And he was hanging by his broken leg, just screaming. And I came running in, and I snatched up Lincoln, and I curled him up and kind of tried to protect his leg as best I could. And you know what he did? He bit me. Some of you all have heard this story. <laughs> and then, actually, it's the only time that dog ever bit me. He bit me then, and he bit me again, and then he bit me again, and then he bit me again. And then after a little, like, three or four or five bites, he stopped biting me, and he curled up, and he cried. And I took him to the vet, and they put him in a cast, and he had the cone of shame for a while, and this back leg was, was in a cast. And it was... Uh, it was an interesting experience, and I, I think it's, I don't know, dogs and people always strike me as sort of a funny uh, relationship because they, they love us and they rely on us, right? Like if we don't take care of them, then, you know, they, they in theory, they become feral, but like in the case of this one, he would have, you know, he probably would have died, right? Like, like we take care of them. We watch over them. We feed them. They, they love us unconditionally, unlike cats, which are awful, um, we're going to talk a little bit today about um, a miracle story from Christ, from the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing on where we left off, and we're going to talk about this calming of the storm. And the reason I'm, I'm starting with my Lincoln story is um, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about like what it's like to be in the middle of a storm. Uh, and I, I thought of a lot of storm stories, and I thought of a lot of difficult life stories, and I tried to draw out something, and I realized like there are just times when everything is screwed up and you're terrified and, like, you, you don't really know what to do with it and you just need God to kind of swoop in and grab you. You know what I mean? Um, and we're going to look at this text. It's actually a fun text, um, but we're going to read the whole thing first. And so if you grab the Bible from your pew, uh, we're in Mark chapter 4, which is in the New Testament. Um, and we're going to be doing uh, verses... 35 to 30, 41, sorry. And so there should be a Bible in every pew. If you don't have one, raise your hand. And someone, I'm sure, will be able to find one for you. Uh, or steal it from the pew behind you unless there's somebody in that pew, in which case, don't. Um, or, anyway, uh, I don't think I need to keep going. I lost my post-it note. What just happened? So, uh, Mark chapter 4 here. On the day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So they're in a boat, right? Like a little bit of reminder, they're in a boat. Jesus is telling parables. There's so many people, they get into the boat so they can be off the shore, away from the crowd a little bit. And Jesus is telling parables. And those parables are like how he's teaching. He's not doing any regular teaching. He's just doing parables. And so he's telling these parables. And then like when the evening comes, he says, all right, guys, let's cross the Let's cross the lake. 
right? And so they uh, turn around, they start paddling across. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? By the way, this account is in, uh, in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And um, Mark is the most detailed version, right? And the funny thing about this particular account is that, like, everybody else, like, when they ask, you know, there's one that's, like, praying, and there's one that's, like, a lot softer. And these guys are like, hey, wake up. Don't you care that we're dying? Like, wake up. We're going to drown. Like, there's, like, a, I mean, I don't know. I, have you all ever been in a small boat uh, in the middle of a large body of water when it really gets moving? And I'm not talking about, like, the, uh, you know, it's a small world ride boat. Like, that's its own hell and terror. I'm talking about, like, a boat that could capsize and you could drown. Right. And and they are there and and the storm is there and they're fighting the storm. And mind you, like to give you an idea, this lake is down uh, about 700 feet below sea level and there are cliffs all around it. And what would happen is um, the wind would catch up in there like a funnel. And in the evening, as the cool air dropped and the warm air rises, that's how it works. Right. There would be a funnel effect and it would create these storms. And actually, the word they use for storm here is hurricane. Right, like it is a, there's a serious storm. Actually, Matthew I think uses the word earthquake um, to describe it. It is a crazy natural disaster kind of thing. And they're out there, they're in the boat. They wake Jesus up, like, hey, hey, wake up! Don't you care? Don't you care that we're all going to die? Don't you care? Um, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, there is a lot going on with this text. Um, And... I honestly, I had to make a lot of decisions about what to cut and what to include because there's so much happening here. And it's all about a quarter inch under the surface. And if you don't know where to look, you can miss it. Okay. Um, But what we're going to talk about today, we're going to like little background and then I'll explain where we're going with this. First off, picks up right after the parables. Second, Mark's version of the story is the most detailed version. Okay. And it's probably because Mark is taking Peter's eyewitness account and writing it out. But a lot of the details that he includes parallel another story. And we'll get to that at the end. But it's cool. Trust me. Um, so you've got to stay awake all the way to the end to hear it. I know. <laughs> it's quite a, quite a tall ask. Um, there are certain things that the ancient Jews believed only God had, had dominion over. One of them was the weather. Only God controlled the weather. And in Matthew's account of this story, it is framed with a series of events that are all about the fact that Jesus is God. Because he is taking authority in association, like authority that only belongs to God, period. 
And so Jesus kind of takes this authority to command the wind because only God can command storms. And that's important, um, and we'll get to it in our first point, actually. But understand, there are all these crazy things that only God could do, and storms are one of them. Finally, in Jewish literature, like if you read Jewish literature, if you look at the prophets, if you look at the Old Testament, um, the sea is associated with chaos and death. Right. Whenever you see the sea invoked, um, the idea is the grave or or chaos or hell. Got it. There's actually a, a great line uh, in and I quote it all the time. I'm sorry. You guys are going to hear it again where David says, even if I make my bed at the bottom of the sea, you will find me when the time comes and at, or you will find me there. Uh, but the, the, the way to read it, if you're going to go beyond the literal translation into what it means is, even if I make my bed in the grave, or even if I make my bed in hell, you'll find me there. Like, because you cannot hide from God. And so this story, surrounded by this storm on the sea, with chaos everywhere, is, it invokes this idea of death. And honestly, like, if you've ever been out in the middle of a large body of water, death, like, kind of feels like imminent, right? I mean, like there's, you drop something down and it disappears and it's gone, like gone, gone. Uh, watched a video of a guy proposing to his wife in a boat or his future wife in a boat and he dropped the ring and it bounces and goes down and he dives in after it. And I'm fairly certain there, like once it hits the water, it's gone. There's no recovering it. It's just, you know, unless you're James Cameron looking into the Titanic thing and even then the heart of the ocean wasn't even there. I can't believe I knew that. Um, I hate that movie. Uh, but here's the angle we're going to approach this story from. We are going to look at who Jesus is in the middle of the storm. Everybody with me? Because like we see several different facets of Jesus as as a like as a man, as a son of God, as our Savior. Like all of these things that take place, and they're all going to explain to us things about who. Jesus himself is. And, and mind you, as we go, as we go, you're going to discover that like in our storms, right? And we're going to talk about that a little bit in this first one. In our storms, Christ is sufficient. Got it? Like in any storm you will face, Christ is sufficient. So uh, we're going to start out. Um, number one, and I, I sort of tip my hand on this. By calming the storm, Jesus is basically acknowledging that he's God. Everybody with me? Um, like only God controls the weather. Um, and the disciples are like actually thrown off by the whole thing. They're like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? Um, how could he do this? That's in actually the end of the passage there, verse 40. Um, and he said to them, who are, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. So they were afraid when the storm was happening, when they realized they're in a boat with a guy who can command the weather by yelling at it. Wow, they're afraid, right? That's like, I mean, then they're suddenly really afraid. Like, who is this guy? How can we, how can he do this? And, like, they ask this question, interestingly enough, in chapter 1, we see where Jesus is teaching, um, and it's something that I'm not going to touch on. Well, we'll, I'll get to it in a second. I'm leaving my outline behind, and I've got to stop that. Um, it's easy to treat this just as that, him commanding the storm as God, but there's more to it. First off, we're going to go to Genesis 1. So if you want to put your thumb right there, because uh, we're going to come back to Mark. It's the text we're doing. 
Uh, and we're going to go back to Genesis 1, and we're going to do just 1 and 2. Watch this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God creates the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of, the Lord, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. What's going on here? God creates the heaven and the earth, and they come about, and they are chaos. And God hovers over the chaos and observes it. And then he begins to say, he begins to say things like, let there be light. You know, let there be land. Let there be night. Let there be day. He commands all of these things. And just by commanding, he makes things come into existence. And this is kind of a shadow of what we're seeing in Christ, right? Like, he's there. He gets up. He's like, hey, hey. Be quiet, I'm sleeping. That's enough out of you. If I could do that with my kids and actually get them to be quiet, it would be divine. But we all know as a, as a human, I can say anything I want. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it, right? I can say, let there be cinnamon rolls. And, you know, there may be, there may not be, but it's not me saying it that makes it happen, right? Let there be whatever. I, you know, let there be a clean house or a mowed yard. I can say anything I want, but I do not have that degree of authority. Christ demonstrates creator-type authority at this point. Throughout the Old Testament, we also see where God is, commands the waters, commands the storms, holds them back, holds them this way, pushes them that way, um, sends them for different purposes and, and whatnot. Like, and God has this dominion because he is God. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is revealing that he is divine. And there's an important bit here. So as Jesus reveals himself to be divine, we see over and over again in the Gospel of Mark, like Peter's account of it, this emphasis on the disciples and their growth. Because every time, like they're witnesses, right? Like their whole job, we talked about this about three months ago in the uh, commissioning of the apostles, their whole job is to be with Jesus, to witness what he does, and then tell people what he did, and then to cast out demons. Um, but like they're seeing him and their job is to witness it. And in seeing it and witnessing Christ as God, they mature and they grow, right? All right. So here's a hit a pause point. Um, storms are awful, right? They are like, unless you're wanting your crops watered, but like if you're, you know, out in the boat and it's, it's maybe going to sink, like it's terrifying. If you are in life and you are experiencing storms, they're awful. It's easy to back up and say, oh my gosh, where are you, God? Where are you? Why aren't you jumping in and helping us? Um, I was reading uh, this week one of the directions I considered going with this. I was considering uh, following, um, there's a, a, a book, uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, uh, by uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Kushner. It's actually, uh, his, his solution is wrong, is the biggest problem with the book. Um, he says, well, bad things happen. I think he's looking at the Holocaust. He says, well, bad things happen, and God doesn't stop them. Therefore, God must not be able to, right? Because he looks at it, and he's in the storm. He says, hey, I'm in the storm. How do I get out of this? God, why don't you save me? Well, if you don't, maybe you can't. In reality, God is God. And Jesus reveals that. And in the moment that we are in the storm, in the moment that we are in a place where we feel like we are going to drown or die, God reveals himself. Right? He rescues. He saves. Sometimes he lets us drown, admittedly, right? Like Paul got his head cut off. Peter got crucified upside down. Like bad things happen sometimes. Like, 
But ultimately, the salvation that we receive in Christ from our sins means eternal life, regardless of what happens in this world. And so, like, over and over again, like, when we live in storm or when we face storm, we have to understand, number one, that God is all-powerful. Not like Rabbi Kushner said, like, where he couldn't help. But God can help. It's just sometimes, sometimes we have to be in the storm. Why? I don't know, because he's God and he decides those things. I'll suggest that if the disciples had not been afraid of drowning and had not woken up Jesus saying, hey, don't you care? They wouldn't have found this out. He's God. He's capable of anything, right? He is capable of commanding the weather. He's capable of raising the dead. He's capable of multiplying food like, like you know, the, the miraculous feedings. He's capable of these things. And in the moment of their difficulty and fear, they're given an opportunity to mature and grow, which is the awful thing about storms, right? But it's also the good thing. Because if you don't go through difficulty, you know, you never learn to mature. Um, you never develop deep roots that can find the the find the 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 water in times of heat and drought um one last thing that i actually didn't include in my slide now i'll move on here um in talking about the idea that jesus is all-powerful and in the middle of the storm we can stop and say everything is bad but jesus is in control he's got me he has not let go of me has not abandoned me um the first audience of this book was probably the roman church like the church in Rome, not the Roman church, sorry, the church in Rome. So these are guys who are living in like the epicenter of all things pagan and evil in the world during a time when Christians were being set on fire to light Nero's banquets at night. Let me say that again. In order to eat banquets in the dark, he lit Christians on fire to create lamps. And these people probably stood around and watched the waves and saw the water coming up and heard the wind and saw the thunder and lightning and said, oh, this is very, very frightening. Lord, where are you? Why don't you save me? God, why don't you rescue me? Come do this now. God is all powerful in the storm, but sometimes God allows us to go through storms. Why? Lots of reasons. Can't explain them all to you. Um, and I think if I tried, I would probably miss 800 or 900 or a million or more. Um, the reality is that if God is in control and God loves you, both of which are true, then the storm is just a part of what he's got planned. And when Jesus gets up from his nap, he turns to them and says, where's your faith? Didn't you trust me? Didn't you know you would be okay? And here we are, right? Enduring storms so we can mature, so we can grow, so we can become something more, so we can know him more. Sometimes I think it's just so we rely on him more. Um, The second thing is this idea, like in this text. So we see Jesus in the storm, and he is capable. He is all-powerful. Nothing gets away from him. The second way we see Christ in the story, like, is we see him victorious. Because he gets up and he commands the storm to stop. That is not a small thing. When Jesus says things like, I have overcome the world, right? Like, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, all of this stuff, I am in charge. I can overcome it. Um... 
an interesting thing, and this is one of those one inch below the surface, easy to miss things. Watch this. Um, when Jesus stands up, the phrasing he uses, and I, I'm using the ESV today, and I, I wish I had grabbed a different translation. He says, peace be still. He rebukes the storm, and he says, peace be still. Um, and it's a softer translation than I would prefer, because this is a phrase. Number one, in its, like in Greek, you have different ways of talking about things, like tenses and everything else. Rebecca's falling asleep. She doesn't like the grammar talk. Um, but what he's doing here is... He is speaking to the storm as a person. He is addressing the storm in a personal way, in a way that is not appropriate to speak to weather, not even when weather is personified in the Old Testament. This is something more. It is a more intense, hey, you, knock it off, right? Um, But then the phrase he uses is common in one thing in ancient Israel. It is common with not like the Greek Hellenist way of doing things, but with the ancient Hebrew, like Jewish version of exorcism. And so he commands silence the way he would command silence to a demon. We see it in chapter 1. Demon says, are you, oh, it's the son of the most high. Are you come to destroy us? He's like, be quiet. Same phrase. Ooh. So he's speaking to the weather as though it's Satan himself. Like he's speaking to this weather and saying, hey, stop. Be still. Knock it off. And so he is speaking with authority, and he's speaking in authority in a way that is more appropriate for commanding an enemy to lay off, to back off, to be stuck or stopped. Like, he's doing this in a way that doesn't really make sense for the context, unless there's something else happening here. Watch this. If we turn a page back to Mark chapter 3... and we jump to verses 22 to 27. I've actually skipped a lot of the verses I wanted to do. We considered, I considered reading this one. Uh, but we'll come back to this. Uh, 22 to 27. This is when we have the, the opposition. So, like, people are coming to Jesus in opposition. And, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, which means Lord of the Manor. Remember? Uh, And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables. We talked about this. Jesus would use parables when faced with opposition, right? He would veil his meaning. Um, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. Now, he gets up and he binds the storm, basically. Right? Like, because he's talking about exorcism here. He's talking about this, like, binding demons in the world around him, casting out demons by, like, the strength that he has through the Holy Spirit. Like, he comes into the strong man's house and he binds him and he can take anything he wants because he's tied up the enemy. They're in this storm and what does he do? He stands up and, hey, I need to sleep. Knock it off. And it all goes still. And then in the very next story, we see Jesus on the shore casting a demon out of another person. Because part of what Mark is doing is he is um, telling the story to connect to the parable. 
Um, we talked about this quite a bit in the last few weeks, that parables were always after a teaching. And that, like, you would do a teaching and then you would do a parable to force people to make a decision. And when Jesus was faced with opposition, he didn't teach. He just told parables. And in this instance, he tells a parable and then Jesus himself, Jesus himself is the teaching. He stands up and commands the storm and he can. Why? Because he's in charge. Because he is the man who's come into the strong man's house. He's bound him. And now he's going to do whatever the heck he wants because he's God. Because the owner of the house, the God of this world, by the way, to play off of the idea of Beelzebul, the Lord of the manor, you come into the Lord of the manor's house, you've got to tie up the Lord of the manor and then do what you want. So what Jesus is doing here, part of it is he is binding the strong man and he is demonstrating that he can bind the strong man. Um, what does this do for us in storms? Oh, what doesn't it do? Right? When you are in the mess when you are in the hole, when you are broken, when you are stuck, Jesus can free us. He can rescue us. I, I uh, use my little dog as my example. Um, you know, I, I came along and I picked him up and I rescued him. When he was stuck in a way he couldn't get out of. He's hanging there. He can't get up off his broken leg. It's like he's literally hanging. And I rescued him. Why? Because I can. Right? I'm big. I'm... 25 pound dog and I don't have to be that strong but I'm able and so I I could grab him up and protect him I could rescue him from the moment that he was in and in our storms in our moments God can rescue us Um, I was reading uh, a couple years ago I read uh, Hiding Place by uh, Corey Tenboom and uh, there's this interesting like series of things that happen she's like a Dutch Christian who uh, protected, like her father brought in Jews and hid them in their house. And they were caught eventually, and she was terrified of what would happen like once they were taken by the SS. And there's a story about her sitting there ready to be tortured by an SS officer. And she prayed, God, please just don't let them torture me. Please don't let them torture me. The man came in and was getting ready to like, you know, do the tough interrogation. And she just started telling him about Jesus. And the guy broke down and cried and begged her for forgiveness and didn't torture her. Then she went to a concentration camp and she had a bottle of vitamins that she, she and her sister took vitamins out of this bottle for like over a year. She's like, I don't even know how it happened. We just kept taking the vitamins and they were always there. Why? Because God, God's in charge. Like nothing that was happening around her, nothing that was happening was something that could stop God in accomplishing his plan. Well, you might say, well, Why then? I don't know. God lets us be bad. And God lets us do evil things. And it's awful. Uh, That's a whole other sermon. Right? Um, But in this moment, I want to assure you, like, as broken as stuff can be, Christ is in charge. And Christ has bound up the Lord of the manor. And so when when we're in a spot where Satan has like attacked our families or attacked our church or, or attacking us, when we're told like you are worthless or everyone is against you or, or whatever it is, like, like we can turn around and say, you know what? That's all just not true. My God has declared victory. Christ has saved me. He has saved me from every sin I've ever committed, every sin I will commit. Um, and every sin I'm currently committing, he has bought me from that slavery. And he has made me new. And he can free me from anything. And in the storm, he is with me 
and he is victorious. And so God is all-powerful, and Christ is victorious in the middle of storms. Um, last one. i bump my slide ahead here. Uh, in the middle of the storm, Jesus is the greater Jonah in his ability to calm the storm. Uh, and the idea here is that he has taken it on himself. Now, we're going to jump over to the book of Jonah. This is one of the more fun little bits here. I am super excited about this. I'm not even going to use all my stuff. It's so frustrating. Um, we all know the story of Jonah, right? Swallowed by a big fish. Uh, great fish, I think. Um, Jonah was commanded to go to, uh, to, go to uh, Nineveh and to preach to them and warn them that God's wrath is coming. And uh, Jonah just hates the Ninevites, right? Like he straight up hates them. And he's like, nope, not warning them. I want you to just kill them. You do it. I'll stand back. I'll cheer. And in fact, actually, after he warns them, he goes up on a hill to watch God destroy the city. And he's like there, like Super Bowl Sunday, ready for, you know, like, where's the wrath? Let's see it. The house of pain. But so in the moment, he says, like, I'm not doing that. I'm taking off. He catches a boat. He goes to Tarshish or tries to go. Um, and he's on this boat and there, he's escaping, starting in verse four of the book of Jonah is in the Old Testament. Um, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and a mighty there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship to, into the, from the, excuse me, uh, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. And I have pause here. Sound familiar? There's like ten different parallels. I'm not going to hit all of them. Okay. But in the moment, like, you know, the ship is sinking, everybody is around, and what's Jonah doing? Sleeping. Um, by the way, Jonah knows what's going on. He knows it's God. He knows what's happening. He actually exhibits some unusual faith because he knows he's rebelling, but he also knows that God is throwing the storm at them and like, well, he's not going to drown me. I'm going to go to sleep. Um, so they're crying out to their God. And they're throwing stuff overboard, and Jonah's asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a, a thought to us that we may not perish. If you look at the phrasing there, like those are really similar phrases, right? And actually, there's a word, an unusual word, and I don't remember which one it was. I'll talk about it in the deep dive. I'm sorry. Um, there's an unusual word that is used in the apostle saying, hey, wake up. Wake up. Help us. And the captain saying, hey, wake up. Pray with us. Right? Like there's a parallel uh, word there that's really unusual. It's in the Greek version of this book, the LXX translation. And so like... Part of what Mark is doing here is he's saying, listen, boat sinking, Jonah sleeping, hey, wake up, same word, um, you know, talk to your God and maybe he'll save us, which is essentially what they're saying to Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care that we're all going to like, you know, go for a really short or a really long swim that ends badly? Um, and so... There's this exchange that happens where they're like, hey, come pray. And he's like, well, they cast lots and they figure out that Jonah's the guy, the reason they're in trouble. Got it? 
And so they're like, hey, it's all your fault. What did you do? How did you tick off God? And Jonah says, well, I serve the God who created the heaven and the earth, uh, and I'm running away from God, so sorry. I'm, I'm not playing this game with you, which I'm sure they appreciated. We pick up in verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. That's a fun word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Now it is again, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, this is where it gets fun. Okay? So Jonah gets thrown in and the sea calms. What does Jesus do? gets up and says, hey, hey, that's enough. And it all settles, right? Um, because Jesus is the greater Jonah. Um, we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 12, but there's a reason Jesus is the greater Jonah. And I'll explain. This is, oh my gosh, it's exciting. Um, so chapter 12, I'll give you all a half a second. I know I'm the guy who's like, all right, jump to this, and then I'm going to pick up and start reading, and I have everything bookmarked and... So this story, by the way, um, in Matthew, takes place, chapter 12, has the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. No, you know, that account that's right next to this one. Um, and then uh, he talks to them about being bad prophets. And then he says, this is the sign of Jonah, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Well, what Jesus is saying there in the Matthew text is um, that the grave, the empty tomb, like Jesus would be crucified, he would be buried, he would rise again on the third day, and it was a parallel. He's saying, listen, that Jonah story, it's about me. That resurrection thing that happened with Jonah because the sea is death, right? They threw Jonah into the sea. He dies. He's swallowed by a fish. Three days later, he's brought back and he's alive. That three-day story is about Christ. And Christ says, hey, I am the better Jonah. Now, 
if Mark is paralleling this story, maybe there's something to that. Maybe if we read it, we can see that the sea, which is death, and the storm, which he binds up like Satan, right, is evil and like is condemnation and judgment battling on us and dumping on us and attacking us and battering us and filling us with shame and fear and bitterness and hopelessness and like a desire to soak in our own sins. And then, and then we throw Christ into death on the cross. We throw him into the sea and the moment he breathes his last breath, the penalty for our sin is paid. And we are bought and we are freed and the storm settles. Because part of what's happening here is that the greater Jonah, the one who has already claimed victory over Satan in this world, is, you know, he, he, he calms it down with a word, but ultimately he would calm it down when he cries out, it is finished. And he pays the price for us. Like part of what's happening here is like, Yes, he's God. Yes, he's all-powerful. Yes, he is binding up Satan in the world, but he's going to do it through the blood that he's going to shed for us on Calvary, through being cast into the pit on our behalf. Because I'm awesome? No. I deserve the storm. I deserve it ten times over. I rebel. I screw up. I find new ways to screw up every day. I got a gift for it. All of us are in this boat. All of us are in this spot. And ultimately, Christ picks us up and he heals us after he goes into the drink on our behalf. Jesus is the greater Jonah and his innocent blood is put on us for our forgiveness, like the sailors, right? Oh, don't put his innocent blood on us. Don't, you know, this is your will. It was God's will that Christ would die for us. It was God's will that he would come for us. And his innocent blood is not counted against us, but counted for us. And we are forgiven. Um, what do we do with this text? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? First off, in the storm, I need to stop and I can recognize. I need to stop and realize that the storm is just this life. It's not real. Like, I might be accused of all kinds of wicked things. Maybe I've done wicked things, and I'm being accused of them and reminded of the sin that I soak in, like all of this stuff. But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, God is the one controlling the storms. I have to trust him in it, and I have to realize that the storm is just a visible thing I'm enduring. It is just a thing I am feeling right now. The reality is that I've been bought and paid for, that he's already gone into the water, that the storm is already calmed, that he has been like in the grave for three days and he is resurrected, and I'll never see the grave because of it. I may die temporarily, but I will live in eternity, as all of us will, because Christ died for us. And so we have to realize Christ is in charge. He controls it. But beyond that, our peace and our salvation, they come from that and nothing else. You cannot work your way there. You cannot earn your way there. You can't buy your way there. You cannot show up on Sunday morning enough or give enough or do anything else enough, you know, pray enough or anything. Like, none of that brings peace. Only Christ and his blood shed for us brings peace. Like, sometimes growing in faith involves us looking around and realizing, wow, this is hard and it's miserable. Um, but with Paul, we have to stop then and say, his grace is sufficient for me. I'm in the boat. The boat's getting tossed, but Jesus is pretty much captaining the boat. 
He can captain it in his sleep, apparently. And I'm saved. Back to that over and over and over and over again. Um, the disciples in this moment, this was a discipleship moment. This was a moment for them to come to know Christ more so um, by trusting him in the middle of the storm and by becoming more like him in trusting, like trusting God, trusting the Father. Actually, the very next time we see Peter in a boat with Jesus, he's walking on water in the middle of a storm. What kind of step is that? He almost drowns. But it's a step forward, isn't it? All of us, those of us who are facing the storm, those of us who will one day face the next round of storms, those of us who are near those in the storm, like our discipleship is not is not for us to feel high and mighty and holy. It is for us to learn to trust, learn to trust in the blood of Christ more and to be more like him, to look more like him. There are times when we're hurting in the storm, we're going to get mad at God and we're going to say, hey, don't you care about me? Why don't you save me, right? Like my little dog biting me, right? Doesn't change the fact that he's rescuing me. And, you know, that little dog, he didn't hurt me. And I can't hurt God anymore. Can't. God knows and he loves and he cares and he carries. Um, in, golly, in Hiding Place, one of the last chapters, there's a spot where, so like uh, Corey Tenboom, she writes a bunch of books and she travels all over Europe preaching the gospel to people who had been destroyed, whose lives were devastated by the Holocaust, right? She preaches the gospel to to people who were in camps, to people who, you know, ignored it or didn't know or whatever. And he go, she goes everywhere, and she brings so many people to Christ through that tragedy. And there's this moment where she's preaching the gospel at a gathering, at an assembly, and this man walks up to her afterwards and says, is it true that you believe that Christ forgives us and that we're called to forgive each other? And she says, of course, that's what the scriptures say. That's what I go everywhere teaching. And he introduces himself, and she suddenly realizes he was a prison guard that watched, you know, he was there when, his, when her sister died in this camp, when she was starving and covered in fleas and everything else. He says, I cannot tell you how much it means that you would forgive me. And having gone through the storm and having learned that the storm isn't real, that only eternity is real, she was angry and she was bitter for a moment and then she put it all away and, and hugged the guy. Can you believe it? Because if Christ could die for me, if he could die for you, if he could die for every rotten, awful person for Nazis and communists and all kinds of other people, if Christ could die for those people and redeem them, then they are family. Their storm is not my job, right? Not my job to accuse. It's my job to put, pull people into the boat and tell them, hey, it looks bad, but my captain, he's got us. My challenge for you this week, like we've done all these parables and now we're kind of digging into the adventures with Jesus section of the book. That's not my phrase. Uh, that's a Barney Fultz one. Uh, you know, the adventures with Jesus because there's all these little stories that take place where they go with Jesus and they learn and they grow through this adventure um, that they have with him. But like through this adventure, through this like, oh my gosh, we're going to drown, but Christ never let us go. Um, what I want you to learn, what I want you to understand, what I want you to apply is the truth that Christ has died for you, that he has rescued you from anything, anything this world can throw at you, that none of the accusation, none of the attack, none of the anything means 
anything. It's got no weight. It's got no authority because Christ has bought us. Because he has stilled the storm that exists between us and God. It's the only storm that matters. And that everything we endure in the here and now is to become more like him. Is to follow him more closely and become more intimately connected with him. To look more and more like Christ. My challenge to you today is look at the storm you're in and ask how am I trusting God and how do my thoughts, words, deeds, attitudes, everything reflect the Christ who saved me from this awful weather. I pray and I'll let you go. I know I'm long. I don't care. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with the folks who are here today. I pray that those of us who are facing storms, those of us who feel like uh, we're, we're drowning sometimes, that we would remember that you care that we're taking on water, that you care that, that we're afraid, that you care more about us than we could possibly understand because you sent Jesus to die for us. Thank you, Lord, and help us, to, help us to love you, help us to love your son, and help us to trust him in the middle of the rain and the weather and the hurricanes. Lord God, there is no sting to death any longer. And we praise you for that. Amen. Have a good Sunday.